0: And so you might be able to raise it by that much, but you might sit with a vacancy. So I think as a a lesson for investors, it's not always going to work like that. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real estate investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larvey.
1: Hey guys, welcome back to where should I invest with Sarah Varby. Today's guest is Mitch Parker and we are going to be covering seniors housing and the opportunity around that. And my guest today, Mitch, he is from Toronto. He lives in Toronto and he is investing in Ottawa in seniors housing and he's a go-to media expert. He's been seen and heard and read on as well on Canada AM, CTV, Sirius XM, Toronto Sun, Huffington Post, etc. And he focuses on passive wealth accumulation and also currently acts as a director of sales for the founders' residences, which we'll get into a little bit during this podcast. And Mitch, after graduating in business, he started buying student rental housing and he's been involved in millions of dollars of transactions. Recently, his latest venture is the Founders Residences and he develops senior specific housing, provides a unique opportunity for investors to purchase them fully managed. And it's basically like if you were to buy a condo and get a property manager, so essentially that is what he's working on these days so great opportunity to get into the seniors housing market i think it's something that's going to be in high demand in the next little while as all the baby boomers are getting older and retiring so some great opportunity there and if you wanted to reach out to mitch you'll be able to find his information in the show notes but yeah we had a great conversation so without further ado let's get on with our interview Hey Mitch, welcome to the show.
0: Oh, thank you for having me.
1: So where are you calling in from?
0: Toronto, right downtown Toronto.
1: Okay, all right, right downtown. Grew up in Toronto, absolutely love the city and (laughs) I would go back anytime. I'm in Oakville now, so not too, too far away.
0: Nice, yeah, it's definitely a good place to be, it's fun.
1: Good, good. So we are going to really dig deep into seniors' housing, but before we get into that, can you let the audience know the listeners know a little bit about you and your background when it comes to real estate?
0: Sure. So I have been involved in real estate. It's got to be 11 or 12 years now. I got started because I went to school in business with a specialization in finance, and while I was in school, I was doing construction work, residential renovations. And this was at about the same time as like HGTV and Discovery Channel, they were all like obsessed with buying a house, flipping it and reselling it. And so I said, I have the finance background and the construction knowledge and the team of guys. So it kind of makes sense to explore this option. And so I approached my dad who ended up being my first joint venture partner looking back. And he came up with the money and qualified for the mortgage and we didn't find a property to flip, but what we did find was a student rental property, and this was in Ottawa. And every month after we paid all the expenses, it made like three, $400, and it really started from there, and then we, we amassed four or five, six properties in a portfolio, all focused on the student housing, and that sort of got me hooked, and years and years later, I, I look back and I appreciate those deals.
1: Absolutely, student housing. I know. I know this is not what we want to dig too much into today, but it is. It could be pretty lucrative. I mean, you can make some good cash flow. Can you just briefly talk about maybe some of the biggest tips that you've learned when it comes to student housing?
0: Yeah, for sure. And and it's like you said, it's a little more hands on in terms of management, and you get a little more turnover. But there's definitely rewards because your cash flow is typically higher. A lot of people, what they do is, if you have like a a four bedroom house and you're renting out to a family. You may be able to only get like thirteen fourteen fifteen hundred dollars for that house but if you're renting it out to students you might be talking like five or six hundred dollars a month per room so you multiply that by four rooms and all of a sudden your cash flow looks a lot better what I found is like I had an advantage because I was young I was like twenty two twenty three at the time and so I got along really well with the tenant on moving day I'd show up with like a two four beer a couple of bottles of wine or whatever it was and then of a sudden i noticed this trend of like one of them would always become the leader and any issues that would come up he would just be my touch point so he would handle everything from like collecting money from the other guys to if there was something that needed to be done in the house i would always hear from him so it's i don't think it's any different than other parts of real estate investing it's just it's about relationships and if there's mutual respect on both sides i think as a landlord you just come out ahead
1: Absolutely. Yes. You know, there are pros and cons to student rentals and student properties. I mean, one of the things to, to look at is even just the financing, right? And if you want to refinance and, and get a HELOC as an example to purchase another one, again, I'm not a mortgage broker, but you'll want to plan all that kind of stuff in advance. And same thing with insurance. I mean, there are some companies that will touch student rentals. There are some lenders that will, or will not, depending on which lender you go to, you'll definitely want to do your due diligence, but it can be a very, very lucrative
0: Yeah. And I think from a, from a financing standpoint, just to touch on that, what you were talking about is one of the things we did that I think was incredibly key part of our success was we worked with a broker from the beginning who specifically knew rental properties. And so what they're able to do is say, okay, here's a lender. That's only going to qualify you with one rental property. And then you go to them first. And then here's one that'll allow you to go up to three properties and five properties. And so by knowing which lenders to work with, it allows you to build your portfolio much easier than like trying to have those one-on-one meetings with TD bank saying like, Hey, I want my sixth property. And they're like, well, we don't really go about four. Right. So
1: <laughs> that's exactly what happened to me in the beginning. And I, Love that you said that because that is one of the biggest things that I believe in is to work with a broker from day one to plan because going to one bank to the other bank is just A, they're pulling your credit every single time, but you don't know if you're starting out which banks do what and what they favor and where you're going to get capped. And so if you're buying one or two properties it doesn't matter just go wherever but if you're actually planning on scaling your business and making it a business it's it's really important to do it in a specific order and all of that always changes and so (laughs) what you know be a favorable lender one year i mean the next year they could have a whole different outlook on that right for investors
0: it's also, I mean, as a real estate investor, you're, you're pretty limited with your time. So you want to be able to maximize it. And I think searching for somebody who's going to provide you a mortgage is not the best really use of your time. So if you can leverage that and say, here's somebody on my team who's awesome at doing it, just frees up your time to look at more deals or more family time. I mean, whatever you really want to do, that's the whole point of investing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And just the fact that you can understand even how to scale up because banks are going to say, yeah, you can refinance it and then you can use that equity to buy another one. Like banks don't really value that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Figure sure. know
1: it yourself or work with a broker that's going to help you scale. But okay, cool. So, what does your portfolio consist of today? Like, what are you working on these days?
0: I have transitioned more to a passive investment style. We've since sold off all of our student rental properties. And I really came to the conclusion that my income and my business was the foundation of all my investing. And so to build that up, I needed to be able to put all my attention to it. And so what I did was I ended up selling off the student rentals and I bought into a lot of like private equity investments and a lot of private mortgages in the residential space. And now as well, we're doing some development on top of that. So that's my portfolio kind of self manages itself other than renewing into a new development or a new project at this point.
1: Okay, no, that's interesting. I mean, that's a whole other side with a passive investments. and I think a lot of people too, as they wired a lot of property, and maybe they've grown, or maybe they just don't want to be as active as as prior, it seems to be a very lucrative option.
0: It is. And, and I, I think that People generally think investing in real estate, they always go to this like landlord tenant scenario. And it's it's so far from that. It's really you can diversify basically all my investments are in the real estate. So I'm well diversified in that space. It's the space that I know exceptionally well. And for me, like my background is stocks and mutual funds and all that stuff. Uh, Real estate crushes the returns that I could get in that space all day, every day. Absolutely,
1: I know. That's when someone's like, "Oh, I got like ten percent on my like stocks or whatever." I'm like, "Oh, you have you have no idea because with real estate investing, I mean, if you do it actively, yes, it is definitely a little bit more work, but you get the cash flow, you get the mortgage pay down, then you get the appreciation and all of that stuff combined. It's actually a lot more than ten percent. But if you don't want to be active and you want to loan out your money, I mean, that like is an option. And even if somebody's listening out there and they have rsps and they don't know what to do with it in my opinion it's probably safer to to loan it as an rsp on a mortgage like a second mortgage then personally this is just my opinion like i'm not don't if you're listening at at home don't make (laughs) decisions on this podcast definitely consult with an expert but personally for me i don't have control over the stock market i don't know it enough and so loaning it for a second mortgage just makes more sense
0: And if you, again, it's knowing where your money is going. And so there are certain second mortgages which are awesome. And there are certain second mortgages which are like, brutal and you would like not want to touch with a 10 foot pole so i think it comes down to like a lot of what you do which is like educating the investors to say hey here is a good deal here's why it's a good deal and then once you know what a good deal looks like it becomes a lot easier mm-hmm. and that's like you said 10 percent a year if you get 10 percent a year in the stock market this year nothing's saying that you're going to get it next year or the year after right so with real estate especially on that private mortgage side you can get 10% to 12% every single year consistently. I've done it for years and years. I've never lost a penny doing it. So, and it's not because I'm a genius. It's just because I know what a good deal looks like.
1: Right. You do your due diligence. Like, you're not just going to be giving your money away to the first person. That's like, oh, I need a second mortgage. Or I mean,
0: <laughs> Exactly.
1: can be a process and like work with your mortgage broker and really understand the pros and cons because there are some cons as well to it. So definitely. Oh, for sure. investing. So I want to talk about seniors housing and what that opportunity looks like because it's not something that we've really talked about, but... I've heard a lot of rumblings here and there at different meetups, different meetings where it seems like it was one of those next up and coming opportunities because there's so many baby boomers. I mean, that's they're all retiring. They're all looking for what are they doing next. And so I really wanted to have a conversation around that and see what you, you can provide in terms of education, even just to me, because I still don't <laughs> fully understand how big this opportunity could be. So I'm really excited to talk about it. So tell us a little bit about student, uh, senior's housing.
0: Yeah, so I've been involved in it for a couple of years now. And what I actually found was there was a lot of similarities between student housing and senior's housing, except for the great thing is seniors make much better tenants because they're less likely to trash the place. And they typically have a lot more money and credit, which is great. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> to step back for a second, like when we say senior's housing, Mm -hmm. It's typically like anything 65 plus age demographic. And that housing can range from somebody who just downsized from a larger house and wants like an apartment, but can live 100% independently and do everything on their own. And that goes all the way to the other end of the spectrum, which is something like a memory care which is like an onset Alzheimer's. That's pretty advanced. Whereas you have around the clock care for them. So there's opportunities well within that whole range.
1: Okay. Okay. Wow. That's that's interesting. So why would an investor want to look at seniors' housing in general? Like, what's the opportunity there?
0: I think the first thing that it, that is important to look at is is the growth. So right now, in the next twenty-five years, the number of people in Canada age sixty-five and over is expected to double. And so what that's gonna do is create an amazing demand for for housing for these people. Right now where we stand, we have a a shortage of supply, even today's market with today's numbers. If you talk to somebody who's either looking for a family member or for themselves to get into a facility, Oftentimes there's there's a wait list, which might be a couple of months. It might even be a couple of years, which is crazy to think that you're going to be on a wait list for an apartment for a couple of years. And that's only going to get more extreme. And so I think when you look at it from an investment standpoint, I always like to look at my investments long-term and I like to say, okay, what's an industry or a part of the industry that's going to be around for the next 20, 25, 30 years? I'm not saying that my investments are going to be that long, but I at least want to know that it's not going to disappear overnight. Like like an Airbnb where now you have all these regulations coming in and it's, it's quashing it for a lot of people, right? With the seniors, you just have this incredible demand, a shortage of supply. The tenants typically are good quality. They have a lot of money. There's opportunities in the, in the housing element, but there's also opportunities for like someone who's entrepreneurial to go into like a home care business or things like that. There's just so many facets that you could do. Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. We'll be right back.
1: hey guys i just wanted to take a quick moment and pause the podcast interview here because i wanted to introduce you to dahlia barsoom of streetwise mortgages i am a big believer as you guys probably have heard work with a mortgage broker they are going to help you scale and when i was first growing in real estate investing and looking to buying my second property and my third property i was going directly to the bank then i hadn't met dahlia yet And I actually was hitting a roadblock when it came to financing because the bank started asking me for 25% as the down payment. And then for my third property, they wanted 35%. And it was really, really hard for me to A, understand why it was creeping up like that. And B, I didn't have 35% to put down. I had 20%. And luckily, I actually met Dahlia at that point in time, and Dahlia is actually an investor herself, and she works with many, many investors, and she knows all the pitfalls and the barriers that normally come up with dealing directly with a bank and all the different lenders, and Dahlia was actually able to not just find me proper alternatives but I've got nine properties now and I'm still able to get financing with A-lenders and it allows me to be able to scale up without hitting the financing wall. And so she's been a tremendous help. So the other thing I really, really enjoy is Dahlia also does a free goals analysis. So if you go to either my website or her website, streetwisemortgages.com, mention the podcast and ask for the free goals analysis. It was a game changer for me and it allowed me to actually understand what i needed to do how many properties i was going to get because of the cash flow that i was looking for if you guys wanted to reach out to dahlia you can reach out to her by email which is info at streetwisemortgages.com or you can actually reach out to her on the website at streetwisemortgages.com and then just go to the contact section and you can also call her at 1-800-208 6255. Thanks for listening and back to the show.
0: Back to the show. Where should I invest? Real estate investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larvey.
1: That is really interesting. Now, are there a lot of regulations about that? Because let's just say I wanted to buy a five or six bedroom property and rent it out to seniors. Like, is that even something that's an option? And if so, what are some of the things to consider?
0: So it's, it's actually really funny because I just saw somebody post on one of the investment groups that I'm part of and talk about rather than convert a house to student rentals, they're converting it to seniors rentals. And I, it was the first time I've actually ever seen that. And I found it really entertaining. And I actually reached out. I'm going to have a conversation with him next week about it to learn more. But yeah, you could essentially offer a rental to st- seniors almost as like a cohabiting. One thing that, that is really important that the seniors typically like is the community style housing I can speak from the experience of my grandfather my grandmother passed away a number of years ago he stayed at home he didn't have a lot of stuff to do or a lot of support around him and so although there was a lot of pushback at the beginning when he did go into a facility within like a week he had like A ton of new best friends he was a member of like the dance committee and like he would tell me about his happy hour that he was doing and like it just those kind of things I think they let you live longer and they keep you happier for longer those are are just a few of the the benefits of it for the actual resident
1: yeah no that is really cool I mean I think it's a a huge opportunity and like you said there is a huge demand and I mean there's a lack of supply and so what is the average rent that somebody pays to to live in one of these senior housing communities. Yeah, so I mean, for an independent
0: Type style apartment, you're looking at very similar to what a market rent is going to be in the area. And then as you go up with your level of care that you provide, so that could be anything from laundry services for your resident to like a shuttle services to bring them to their apartment to meal services. Your rents can go all the way up to not crazy to say like in a memory care facility, like $8,000, $7,000 a month. Obviously, you need quite the infrastructure to handle that, but your typical rent in the senior's housing is, is higher than it's going to be in a regular residential space.
1: Absolutely. I mean, that sounds really good, but there's definitely a, probably a lot of laws and regulations and things. I mean, I can't just open something and say, you know, we're, we're going to take care of them. I'm sure you've got to be <laughs> licensed properly. I'm, I'm guessing there's a bunch of that.
0: There is. And rather than you could go that route and say, hey, I want to build a senior's facility and I'm going to find out all the rules and regulations. The other option is there's a lot of groups out there that enable you to participate in the senior space without actually having to do all of that. So what does that look like? So, I mean, that can range anywhere from if you look at some of the main players in the industry, they have like a real estate investment trust that you can invest in, for example. And so you would share in the income that they generate from their properties. The latest development that we're working on now, which is in Ottawa, essentially what it does is it's a senior's facility that we've condominiumized. So we're we're selling it to investors as residential condominiums. And then they have an option to participate in what fully manages their property for them. So finds the tenants, it does all the repairs, it covers any vacancies, it provides a lot of protection. So essentially it allows the investor to participate, but be fully passive in their actual day-to-day operations. So
1: would it be, is there any equity in there? So is it like a condo that you would buy or is it more of a, I don't know, like a pool of funds that you pull together, like a syndication? Like what does that look
0: like? Yeah. So this is actually just a regular condominium. So you buy it, you put 20% down, you get the mortgage for the other 80%. One of the big advantages is you you are on title to the property. So it's the same as any other property, except for management. If the investor chooses so, handles everything on the investor's behalf. So you're getting all the benefits of ownership but you actually don't have to do any of the work which you know we've we sold out our first phase right before the holidays and that's one of the main draws that the investors have told us was like we love owning property but we don't necessarily want to be responsible for all the management and so this is what it provides
1: yeah very cool so
0: why ottawa when we look at seniors housing you you need like a number of of things to fall into place so you need like a strong seniors demand for housing you need a stable income you need good real estate prices and then you need reasonable prices on the development side so land cost development charges things like that so ottawa actually fell into this like utopian market where all these things came into perfect sync. It's great from a tenant perspective because all of the residents or not all, but most of the residents are pensioners. So they have a solid income for the rest of their life, which is awesome. It's a city of over a million people. So you have a good population. It's not oversaturated. And then, as you know, having lived in Toronto and living close to Toronto now, like land prices and development charges here are crazy. So in Ottawa, it's a much more reasonable market for us to operate in.
1: Okay. All right. Very cool. So what kind of analysis should we be doing and what's important to look at if we're looking at these types of investments?
0: Yeah. So a lot of this stuff falls typically into what you would do from normal due diligence in a condo. You want to look at location. You want to look at the, the reputation of the the developer and the manager, but The one thing that I would say really changes is it's because seniors housing is very management heavy. You want somebody who's going to have experience in the industry, whether it's finding the right tenants, because turnover in a lot of these facilities can range from like 25 to 30% a year, just because the residents kind of come and go. And so it's so important to be able to have new tenants waiting for when one needs to move out so it really comes down to management in a lot of these cases so can you manage it can you staff it can you run it profitably have you done that before and sort of i would ask questions like what's your track record you know how many facilities have you built do you run things like that
1: okay cool so i mean i'm just as you're saying this i'm thinking okay ontario the government the landlord tenant board and the residential tenancies act is this applicable to like, let's just say, for example, an increase of only 1.8 in this example per year, or is it different because it's seniors housing?
0: It's different because it's seniors housing. So seniors housing is actually short term leases. So in the province of Ontario, all the tenants have a month to month lease. So because of that, it's not, it doesn't fall under the guidelines of the landlord tenant board. And it basically, you're able to control a lot more than you than you can with a regular residential condo.
1: Yeah, because I, I was looking, because even for my Airbnb, because I've got a, a cottage rental, like I make my maximum amount of days 28. So that because as soon as it's over 28 days, then that landlord tenant board stuff starts being applicable. And so you're saying that it's just completely different regardless, like even if it's month to month, and they're there for longer than 28 days, it is a separate.
0: Yeah, exactly. Because there's no one year leases. They're just, again, it's a month to month, and it falls outside of the landlord tenant jurisdiction, which having gone through student rentals for a while is not the most fun to deal with when you have to.
1: Okay, so then are you saying that, for example, if I decide that next year, I want to up my rent by I don't know, 10%, because there's a lot of demand, I can do that?
0: A lot, yeah, and again, like a lot of it's going to be supply demand, right? And so you might be able to raise it by that much, but you might sit with a vacancy. So I think as a, a lesson for investors, it, it's not always going to work like that, right? It's going to be what does the market dictate. And so in a lot of circumstances, Toronto condo prices in terms of rents, yeah, we might have seen like eight, 10 percent increases per year, you typically don't see the rates increase that much per year in the seniors housing space.
1: Got it. Okay. Okay. So other than Ottawa, because obviously Ottawa is, a, sounds like a great market, other markets or geographic locations that might make sense over others?
0: Yeah, for sure. So when we're looking for a place, we want enough of a senior's population and then enough of an actual regular age population, as well as reasonable prices. So for us, you're talking about like cities like Ottawa, like Kitchener, Waterloo, like Barrie, like Kingston, those size and demographics are ideal for something like this.
1: Okay, so when you're looking at these cities, like how did you guys pick, like are you, I'm assuming there's might be other geographic locations other than Ottawa, like what kind of analysis do you guys do?
0: Yeah, so we're looking at what the typical rents are what the real estate prices are, what the development charges are, what the land costs are, how many seniors are in the area. I've seen, there's been a number of, of projects that have come out in these like really small towns in Ontario lately. And the prices look really attractive from an investment standpoint. But my concern is like, how big is the actual seniors population in this area. So if you can't fill the place, I don't care what price you're buying it for, it's not gonna end up as a, as a good investment. And on the other end of the spectrum, a place like Toronto, the problem with that is, is the land and the development costs are too high. You end up with, cause in Toronto now you have to build like a 50, 60 story tower for it to make financial sense. Whereas like our buildings, the max that we would go is like nine or 10 floors. And that's because you lose a sense of community after that. And it gets much harder to fill when you get to too many suites. So around 200 suites are our sweet spot. Oh, and if anywhere between 150 and 200, we're looking at as ideal.
1: Okay. And now when you say student housing, is it 55 plus, 65 plus community for, sorry, for seniors housing, like what age range is that?
0: So yeah, when I say t- seniors housing, I typically mean 65 plus. In our Ottawa development, for example, there, there's nothing in the condo bylaws that say like, hey, you have to be 65 plus to live in the building. It's just like myself, I'm like mid-30s. I wouldn't exactly want to move into the building and be surrounded by all these people. The amenities are amazing, but it just wouldn't make a ton of sense for me. Yeah, you're, you're, but you're typically looking to attract somebody who's 65 plus.
1: Okay. Now, I guess my other question was around like proximity to hospitals or proximity to transportation or what, do, like you mentioned, Kingston and Ottawa. And do you look for specific submarkets?
0: Totally. And that, that's a great thing that you brought up. Proximity to public transit is important. Yes. And it's also important for, for non-seniors housing investment as well, right? And then we're looking at, yeah, close proximity to the hospital. And you also want to have amenities in the area. For example, we offer a shuttle service to our residents that will drive them within the neighborhood. And within the neighborhood, you have like tons of restaurants, pharmacies, there's a shopping center, there's the doctor's offices. You essentially, you're trying to create a lifestyle where they don't have to go that far to achieve it. Almost like I live downtown Toronto, that everything that I do is really close. It's almost similar to that.
1: Okay, all right, that's interesting, got it. And what are some cons and drawbacks? I mean, this all sounds really, really good, senior's housing, more money, more cash flow, et cetera, but I'm assuming there are gonna be some cons, what are they?
0: I would say one is if you want to be active in the management of the space the skills that you're going to need are very very specialized it's not like you call your realtor up and say hey i have a vacancy i need to fill it find me a tenant it's a little more complicated than that and then That flows into most of the investments in this space are more passive in nature. I think one of the drawbacks is if you want to do the active side of it, it may not make the most sense for you only because like if you want to be an active landlord, like I'd probably rather go and buy a student property or a place downtown Toronto versus if I'm looking to be passive, then it makes a little more sense. Hmm.
1: Okay, got it. Any other drawbacks?
0: I mean, I personally love the space. I mean, I think that done right, there's very few drawbacks to it personally.
1: So what do you think for like resale trends, right? I mean, somebody decides that like, I don't know, let's just say, for example, I decide I want one of these, but five years later, it doesn't fit my portfolio. Does it appreciate the same way?
0: Yeah, there's a few, two different ways. One is if you know, you're know you gonna go and do this yourself and you're gonna say, hey, I'm gonna buy a place. I'm gonna cater it more to a senior's lifestyle. Then I think like any other investment and similar to a student house, your value is probably gonna be based on the income that it generates, not necessarily what that neighborhood is worth. And then with our condos that we're selling, If the investor picks like the management option, there's actually the option for them to get bought out after a five-year period, a few different price options. You can plan your exit strategy actually ahead of time and know exactly what your returns are gonna be before you even sign the dotted line.
1: Okay. All right. That's good to know. Anything else that we should know about Singers Housing that I haven't asked you?
0: No, I would say for, for any investors who, who are looking into it, definitely do your due diligence. It's an industry that's going to be very lucrative for the next 25, 30 years. And there's a lot of great opportunities in it. And I think there's a lot of like not so good opportunities in it, just like with anything else. So really doing your due diligence, making sure that you're working with people who are reputable, having a good team in place, what's realtor, your brand broker, whoever else you need on your team, a contractor, and, and all that will typically keep you out of, out of trouble. And then I'm a, big, I'm a big fan of trusting your gut. If something doesn't feel right, like walk away. There's going to be other opportunities that come up and there's a reason why you're feeling like that probably.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's a great opportunity. I personally be very hands-on, but this could be a different part of my portfolio as well to be able to have more than just one type of investing strategy.
0: Yeah, it's, an, it's a nice way to, to, to diversify rather than being active to say, hey, here's, a, I get to purchase something and then I don't have to worry about it for the next five years.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. So the next part of this podcast is the lightning round. And I don't know if you've listened to previous podcasts before, but every single question is going to be the same for every guest. And so there's five questions. Answer them. Uh, I guess the first, uh, the first answer that comes to mind. You ready?
0: Awesome. Let's go.
1: All right. Question number one of the lightning round. What is your favorite real estate investing book ever?
0: Ooh, favorite real estate investing book ever. And it has to be about real estate investing.
1: I mean, you could switch it up if you've got an amazing book that's not real estate specific.
0: Okay. So I recently finished this book called Driving Miss Norma, and it's actually not real estate related whatsoever. It's more a book about life. And I'm a a big fan of, of having sort of success in all areas. I think flows into other areas as well. Gratitude and appreciating everything only makes you a better real estate investor. I'll go like a total opposite way of what most of your other guests say and recommend that book to somebody and say that that will guarantee to make you a better investor and person as well.
1: That's good. That is the first time that we've got this book recommended. Do you know who the author is?
0: Not offhand, but I can get that to you so we can include it in the show notes.
1: Perfect. Okay, good. Question number two, your favorite podcast
0: favorite podcast. I have been listening to a lot of TEDx lately. I have been really about expanding my views outside of real estate and using that experience to better myself as a real estate investor. So I find there's some great information on there, which is like related to real estate at all, but somehow always comes back to making sense in this business.
1: Okay, awesome. Number three, what do you do for fun aside from real estate in the business?
0: I'm big into the gym, I'm big into cars, I love traveling I was just in Asia for the last three weeks enjoying some nice warm weather and I've never seen Asia before so that was fun yeah and, and then at the same time I actually I love working <laughs> so whether it's not directly on my real estate investing business if it's if it's reading if it's helping other entrepreneurs I just love this industry a lot of people tell me I need hobbies but like this is my hobby yeah <laughs> no,
1: that's nothing wrong with that As as long traveling sounds great as well
0: <laughs> yeah uh,
1: number four if you lost all your money and all of your assets tomorrow? How would you start again?
0: I think I would look and I would say, what is a problem that people in the real estate investing space have right now? And i probably start by talking to a lot of them and, and figuring out what their pain points are. And then from there, figuring out how I could offer a solution to that. And I think by starting with a very small core group that would be like a big fan of what I was doing, I think it would expand out from there. And I don't think it would take long to get back on my feet.
1: Okay, great advice. And last question, number five, if somebody has $50,000 and they want to get started, how would you recommend they spend it? $50,000
0: $50,000 getting started. Education would be, would be part of it. I'm not saying go and buy like a $50,000 education course. That's crazy. <laughs> but what I would say is, is spend some time, buy some books, do some research and figure out an element of real estate that vibes with what you want to do. And then the second part of that would be to figure out why you're investing. A lot of people say, I want to make a million dollars, but in fact, they don't want to make a million dollars. They want like freedom or they want their time back or whatever. So I think coming up with the reason why you invest as your core, that's a great place to start. I'd start with some money there. Then I'd probably figure out a way to actually achieve that. And then I would take the rest of my money and I would try whatever that investment was. So if it was like, hey, I I have a great nine to five. I want this to be more my retirement. Let's try a passive investment. So like a private mortgage, let's put it into there, try it and see what happens. And then again, go on the safer side of the industry so you don't lose all your money. But just, you, you've got to jump in at some point. That's how I would start. But I'd really start with the foundation of the why first, figure out how to do it, and then do it on a conservative level.
1: Okay, all right, great advice. So Mitch, where can listeners find you if they wanted to reach out?
0: I can be found either at my website, which is mitchparkergroup.com. I'm also on social media at mitchparkerre. so for real estate.
1: Okay. And any final words of advice or anything else that you would like to let the listeners know?
0: I I think that your listeners are pretty active real estate investors as they are and pretty, pretty entrepreneurial. And so I don't think that they need per se like advice. I think they're really good at doing their stuff on their own, but just keep at it, keep doing it. I mean, the, the real estate, I think is the greatest way to create wealth and sustain wealth. And for anybody who's listening that, that hasn't invested in real estate before, find what it is and then make the jump. Don't sit on the sidelines for the next 10 years. You'll regret it. I guarantee it.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Mitch, for being on Where Should I Invest? It was great having you. And thank you for
0: your insights on seniors housing. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it.
1: Hey guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio i know for me before i started i had plenty of reasons and at the time they all seemed very valid but as i started my journey these reasons slowly fell away and eventually only one reason remained what was actually stopping me was having a proven actionable repeatable system i didn't have that and the way that was going to change was by investing in myself learning listening and looking for ways that work and also most importantly discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again Fast forward to today, I now have a proven repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step online program, it's called RISE and it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you want to be faster